You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Actually sitting in that uncomfortable place is where we get to, like, you have to go through the uncomfortable to get to the growth. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I'm your host, Janine Scott. Today, my guest refers to herself as an unapologetic champion for the physical, psychological, and cultural safety of all humans in our industry. Cecily, an artist, advocate, and founder of Stage a Change. Thank you for joining Absolutely. us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we, we talk about all the great work that you're doing uh, with uh, Stage a Change, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. Um, and how did you get to Australia? Because mm-hmm. I know that you're a Midwesterner mm-hmm. like myself. <laughs> so can you can you share with the audience sure. a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, I'm originally from Indiana, Indianapolis, and um, went to college in Florida and sort of had this uh, big question about how, you know, I, how do you get to New York? How do you do all of the things that I think I want to do? You know, growing up, I felt like, working in community theater and maybe being a psychologist on the side was like the best option for what my career could look like. Um, and I just didn't understand the pathways to being a professional in in the art sector. And so um, in moving to New York, there were actually quite a lot of folks who were like me who were kind of from, actually there were a lot of us from Indiana specifically, um, but a lot of people from the Midwest who kind of navigated their own ways there, um, you know, lucked into having a really good connection or found a cheap apartment and made a jump for it. But no one really understood that there was a preparation or um, information or knowledge that could help lots of us figure out how to get there. So that's kind of where my first interest in um, what it meant to be supporting pathways into the arts looked like. I started a company in 2012 called Music Dance Theater Workshops and was really focused on helping high school and college age people figure out how to to, to be. I I, I um, use the term how to be an actor minus the acting. So like, what do you need to know about about the world? 
Um, and from there, mm-hmm. I, and I was, always, I was always a performer too. So did a lot of um, like regional theater. I lived in Chicago for a long time, worked out in Utah, North Carolina, that sort of thing. Um, and I was in a long running show that I started in 2012 while running MDT workshops and then got an offer to go do that show in Australia. So I came out and opened Book of Mormon in Australia and then I like, you know, met a guy, got married, decided to stay, but recognized that some of those same issues that I was really interested in back in the <laughs> States were happening in Australia. And, um, you know, we were having real challenges with representation and authenticity in in um, in the arts and seeing, you know, people of color who weren't necessarily black or African diasporic having an entire career playing a culture that wasn't actually their own because this very black and white musical theater canon had been set on a country that doesn't actually exist in that same black and white binary as, you know, the U.S. does, Um, you know, and so trying to figure out how I could support the human beings who were creating the sector to not only play things well and and to not have all of their jobs taken away from Americans like like myself, full disclosure, acknowledging the privilege that I came over and, you know, was an mm-hmm. import. So I figured out, like, how do we have less of me here and how do we uplift the sector here? And that's kind of how Sage of Change was, was born, why it was born in Australia. And, uh, yeah, I've been there six years. Wow. Can you talk about the similarities and the, the cultural differences that exist um, where you're at in Australia, because I think here in the States, so we, we think it's, mm-hmm. it's just us and we forget that there are, that there are people of all hues <laughs> globally. And so can you talk a little bit about what it looks like in Australia where you're at and, and well, and you've, you've gone <laughs> a lot of different places, which you can get into too. Yes. Like right now you're in New Zealand. The beautiful thing about Australia and New Zealand is that um, the indigenous and first first nations people, the beautiful thing about Australia and New Zealand is that the indigenous and first nations people, um, the first people of these lands has such a um, beautiful reverence, particularly I would say in the arts community and probably, well, probably not as revered in government as they should be, but th- that's kind of where we really are focused on First Nations stories. Um, so I've learned a lot about, you know, what it means to be authentically giving people the ability to have self-determination and agency in their work and being, I'm, I'm very grateful that I've been invited into spaces to support indigenous stories in a way that I don't think I recognized that need when I was in the U.S. Um, here in New Zealand, I'm on uh, Maori land. Mm-hmm. Normally I live in in um, Melbourne, which is uh, um, NARM, is the indigenous word for NARM. And you would always begin a meeting by saying, hello, I'm Cecily. Okay. Today I'm zooming in from Wurundjeri land and I acknowledge elders past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And it actually, you know, that's how you start. That's that's how you begin a conversation. And to, to sort of ha- have to hold that reverence wow. and to remind yourself every day that this land under my feet, under the foundation of my house, this building is stolen land and should be the foundation of the storytelling we do, you know, in some ways is um, similar to the way that we acknowledge that the U.S. and America was built by the hands of slaves, um, you know, enslaved people. 
and also it's that fresh reminder. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but that's the thing. Like we we probably don't, but we probably should. Like we probably should acknowledge that. And so it's been really great to be on this side of the world. It's humbling in some ways to remind yourself that like as an artist, what I want to do today and what I'm doing and you know how I'm trying to shine like People have been shining like this for 65,000 years. The indigenous folks are the oldest living community in the world. And, you know, they probably deserve a little respect on their name. (laughs) When I look at the way we approach it here in the States, like we're just starting to do land acknowledgments and, you know, say that we're we're on the, the land of the Lenape. But sometimes it feels performative. What action are you all taking there in Australia to so that it's so that it's not it's not just seen as performative, that there's there there's there's actual teeth behind those words. The unfortunate history of Australia is that the stolen generation happened. um, And so quite often we don't necessarily see you can't necessarily see that someone has indigenous background. And so I make the assumption every day that there is somebody in my space that is a traditional owner, a traditional custodian, depending on your terminology of this land. And it is my duty to recognize their, their and their ancestors and their family's contribution to my ability to be here right now today, right? And so I feel like the visibility and the repetition is mm-hmm. probably quite helpful in making it feel less performative. Um, at least to do. Now, that's not to say I, I am not an indigenous woman, so I certainly won't speak and say whether or not they feel like some of them are performative. But mm-hmm. you, you can feel the difference. You can feel the difference when someone is repeat reciting what they were told to say versus yeah. when someone is authentically saying something. You know, it's not a script. It's just really like, hey, y'all were here right. and this is yours. And it got taken from you so I could be on it. I acknowledge that. But Cecily, when you said it, I was like, wow. Like just hearing it, like I felt it, in, <laughs> I felt it in my belly. <laughs> and it, because it, it, it felt authentic. And, and I think, I think that also comes because of relationship that you have. And maybe, and maybe sometimes it feels performative in our spaces because we haven't always done a great job of building relationships with those indigenous mm, people yeah. in our country. Um, and I, 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 I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just ripping. <laughs> just thinking out loud <laughs> because I felt something when you said it Yeah, and I loved it. Well, I think that's the thing though. Like we all, we actually, that, that's actually the point. Like we kind of have to riff out loud. We have to kind of just say the words and it feels performative because we don't, necessarily always have the words in our in our brains you know we have to teach we have to put it into our hearts we have to put it into our body we have to put it into motion just like you know a dancer who's going to do tin fuate is like you don't wake up one morning and know how to do it you keep practicing and you keep practicing until all of a sudden it's natural and then you know you're in swan like or whatever um it's okay and i think sometimes we tr- we <laughs> things that don't feel comfortable we want to skirt away from them. And I feel like the same can be said in the DEI world. Like when things don't feel good, we think, oh, this is never going to work. And so we back away from it. Actually sitting in that uncomfortable place is where we get to, like you have to go through the uncomfortable to get to the growth. And so I always say when I'm training, 
that nobody really wants to talk about race. Even people of color don't want to talk about race. But yet here we are. I mean, it's uncomfortable for all of us. I think a lot of times we have been told or taught that, you know, you know it's right because it feels so good. And it's just such a misnomer, especially post-2020, you know. Nothing felt good about 2020, but we know that we are on a much more right path in 2022 than we were in 2019. And it wasn't good to get here, but it was necessary. And yeah, we just kind of have to lean into that sometimes. How did the the murder of George Floyd affect you all in Australia and the work that, that you're doing in, in yeah, our industry? It was industry? a big breakup call. George Floyd's murder... It, I hate to imagine that people were calling me, that someone had to get murdered in order for people to actually pick up the phone. But the really sad reality Mm -hmm. is that's exactly what happened. And um, there were some people who picked up the phone and said, we've been meaning to call you back. You know, we're so sorry. Let's, let's go. And they really meant it. And there were some people who picked up the phone and were like, Oh, right, right, right. That that checkbox we meant to tick. Um, We're ready to tick it now. And it was it was really hard for about a year or two for me to figure out who was being authentic about the work and who wasn't. But, you know, you start to develop tools and ask the right questions in the beginning and find people who really want to move forward. And there are some organizations out here who are doing great works as well. Diversity Arts Australia, it's partnerships um, overseas in London. You know, there's a lot of people who are have been sort of taking these baby steps. And then 2020 happened and it was like all right, we can, we can jog a little bit now. Maybe we can speed walk. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, it's, it's different in, in 2020, you know, a lot of the conversations in Broadway on Broadway were about going beyond diversity and representation and starting to think about what inclusion and equity actually means in practice. In Australia, we're still kind of looking at diversity. And I sort of have this mentality that we actually need to stop trying to diversify our stages first because we actually don't have the fundamental underbelly of equity and inclusion that is required once the stages are diversified. We actually need to do a little bit of the groundwork. I sometimes say we've got to clean mm. out our house before we invite the guests in. And, and um, you know, a lot of us have messy houses. I have a messy house. I mean, literally and figuratively, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's slow, you know, you have to be patient slower than I think a lot of us would like to see it. You talked a little bit about mm. the casting and the stage and, you know, when shows mount there, uh, in Australia, can you can you go a little deeper? Like, what is what does that community engagement look like, and how do how do you help them to ensure that there's accurate and authentic representation? Yeah, and outreach? Um, great question. I think in terms of casting, it's always been an easy answer to go overseas to find what you need with the assumption that it will not be found in Australia. And post 2020, particularly because Australia was shut all the way down, um, you have a lot of artists who have been out of Mm -hmm. work for so long compiled with the, you know, racial reckoning that's happening globally. There's this real drive to find 
find artists in Australia. And so that requires a lot of work. And um, thankfully, things like, you know, Instagram and TikTok and social media are making it a little bit easier. But there are fewer people and they're, they're more spread out. So it does mean going into rural towns. It does mean joining karaoke groups on Facebook to see who's who's in and who's around. It does mean offering free workshops to um, people who have never auditioned you know, before. It does mean going to Brisbane instead of just staying in Melbourne and Sydney. So it requires you to be a little bit more dynamic about the way that you're looking for and seeking people. And it also requires the... You know, particularly if we're talking about like the production, um, what, what would be like the equivalent of a production contract in Australia, so our big commercial productions, it does sometimes require you to do mm-hmm. additional training or extend the rehearsal process for people who are new. It does require more personnel support to get people up to speed. It may require, you know, the boot camp style um, training to get people ready to do eight shows a week. But the, the difficulty is all of those things are a dollar value. And oftentimes producers say, yes, but that costs too much. Mm-hmm. But what they miss is, yes, but that cost is actually an investment in community, not just in your production. That cost is an investment in an artist who will be able to do 10 of your shows as opposed to going overseas, hiring somebody from the U.S. who's going to come for a year and then go back to Broadway where they'll make more money. The investment is in that community who's never seen themselves represented on stage before, who all buy a ticket to your show. Three of them, you know, 10% of them fall in love with theater and come back to another one again. And they not only go into your show, but they go wider in the sector and they tell their friends. So, you know, thinking about things uh, outside of just the immediate financial cost and flipping that into the way that we're engaging a community authentically, I think that's a piece that... um, you know, we're, we're starting to understand that here, but it's, it's sometimes really hard to get people to think outside of the, the immediate dollar. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My question is, is about authenticity and how do we ensure that as, as an entity, as an industry, we are being authentic and that we are giving back to the communities in which we are I don't want to say taking from, but that we are asking, we yeah, are asking, we're asking for their of. trust. And if, if you ask something of someone, they need to trust that you're going to be responsible with what they give you. And sometimes they are literally giving you the children of the community and exactly. saying, yeah, sure. 
I moved to this country with dreams of you being a doctor, but you want to be an artist. So yes, I will give you my blessing to do that. And that's actually really huge for a lot of communities. Um, Australia has a very large and beautiful migrant community, but particularly if we're talking about African diasporic, most of them come either from South Africa or from South Sudan. Mm -hmm. Now you imagine being a South Sudanese family who has left everything that you know, settled in a country where you are so visibly and verbally an outsider. You've worked hard to save your children's life to come here. And then some Yahoo casting director who's, you know, I've been this Yahoo casting director comes and says, oh my gosh, we're doing a show Mm -hmm. and we need black people. Do you want to come be in a play? You want me to do a what? You want my child to do what? I'm sorry, we're busy. We're we're busy. They have school. They have things to do, right? And so, we before I can even think about diversifying about mm-hmm. what my needs are, I have to recognize that you are firmly and uh, you know, real understandably focused on your needs. And if I'm not thinking about what you need, how dare I think about what I need over you? And I feel like that's just the mentality that we've had in the sector for so long. You know, oh, we're doing a show about. Chinese people now. All right, where are we going to get the audience for this? I know there's a Japanese cultural center down the way. We'll just go to them. It's kind of the same, right? But like Here's the thing though. I mean, and even with that, I mean, you you're talking about in Australia, but the same is here. And I think that's where we're similar and and I think globally mm-hmm. it's similar. It's that we don't know the histories and the whys and the hows of the people that we are that we are looking to either participate in our in our show to you know to be cast in our show to work our show or to attend we we don't know the history we don't mm-hmm. we don't try to know the history because i think you hit it it is spot on sometimes it's about the dollar it's like okay I got, I got this amount of money. I'm going to do this. We need to do this. We need to get this audience. And it's, it's similar. So, you know, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and and, and go along with this. And I think that that is happening across the board. I mean, well, you would know better than me because you're what one of 10 Westpac, right? Social change fellows. So you are doing this exact work going i'm gonna i'm gonna say you're like cultural you're 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 world you're world hopping (laughs) you are country hopping right (laughs) doing this type of work so i mean you tell me is is that kind of a through line that you're seeing yeah what are you seeing um so thanks thanks for the westpac social change fellow shout out i'm super excited about it um but uh, you know I'm blushing. They can't see it, but I am. Promise. Um, It's it's been really fascinating to investigate where the pressure points are in different nations and how and why they exist. You know, and what's happening in the U.S. is probably the most amplified, just because you know George Floyd was in the United States, and that's sort of where the it wasn't a pebble, you know, the giant brick was thrown in the water, but as it gets to other countries and other Mm -hmm. places, it changes shape. Um, in Canada, for instance, there's a lot of, um, respect and, and awareness around indigenous communities that has existed, that exists in a different way, particularly when we're thinking about schools and the, the government's 
implication in what's happened to indigenous people there. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but their challenges are also around um, migrant issues and, and that, kind of layers on from indigenous issues there in the UK, you know, you've got the difference between people who are, um, Islander and have gone versus the people who are from Africa and have gone versus the people who have, you know, have been in the UK for a long time. And some of the nuance there in the U S we see it as people who are, you know, somewhat sort of similarly and people who are descendants of enslaved Americans versus not, um, in the, Australia and New Zealand, it's really about the indigenous communities and how we give agency there. So every country kind of does it a little bit differently, but we're all sort of trying to find this collective language around what it means to make spaces safer, not just, you know, physically, but like psychologically, how do I have the ability to speak up? How do I have the ability to engage and be a part of this and be included in this practice, but also culturally or for their own identity? How is who I am outside of this space able to be this safe once I'm inside of this space, not only for my like culture, you know, religion and ethnicity and sort of things, but like who I love, my neurodiversity, um, you know, all of that stuff. How do I get to bring that into the space as well. It's not a quick fix, you know? It's not a quick fix. And for it to actually have lasting change, we actually have to, like, dig all the way down deep. Um, And, yeah, I I feel like I've gone on this world tour asking these big questions and have graciously met people like you um, and people who are doing this work around the world. And the exciting thing is I just actually have more (laughs) questions, um, which means that, that we get to we get to keep going. Oh my gosh. So I want to talk more specifically about stage of change. You, you gave us the backstory on, on, on how, you know, how this came, how it came to be. Can you talk about the work that you all are doing and the different programs and initiatives that you have going on in Australia? (laughs) Well, and probably worldwide actually. I can do that. Um, Yeah, so um, we work on three spokes. So uh, it's artist training, community engagement, and industry standards. And I refer to them as spokes, not pillars, because I see it like this wheel. And actually, none of us can get forward until all of us are moving together to move the wheel forward of progress. Um, So the the Mm. community engagement piece is really about sort of that stuff that we were talking about earlier, uplifting people and individuals, both as artists Mm -hmm. and industry sector and the communities that support the artists um, that we want to be. So looking at, you know, we've done a diversity in theater picnic where we just were like, if you're melanated or you love somebody who is just come on, come on, let's celebrate. Let's, let's uh, hang out with each other. Um, in the mm-hmm. artist training mm-hmm. program, we've done a lot of master classes and workshops. Shout out to everyone who has said, sure. When I said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. I need some funding, but come teach for me. Um, we don't necessarily run like a drama class or a dance school, but we help artists who need to figure out what it is that they love and where their passions lie. We help push them down the pathway um, and give them resources and mentorship to find that. Um, And then the industry standards piece is working with arts organizations who are Mm -hmm. looking to increase the presence of equity and inclusion in their practices. So that takes the form of everything from helping them write policies, um, reconciliation action plans, um, uh, helping them to do casting, to look at their hiring practices. Um, sometimes we're engaged to 
sort of do a wider overhaul. So um, we call that the equity inclusion support officer role. So we serve as a sounding board for any artist's um, creative person who works in the company to help them solve any questions, problems, queries, share resources, have a library of fascinating stuff that's happening globally. Um, we do quite a few workshops. So helping people pre-audition, figure out what it looks like to go to an audition. You're helping to level the playing field. You're doing your part in equity to get people the, the training so that they, they don't yeah, have to walk yeah. in cold. And um, this year was one of the exciting projects is the first time a commercial production has ever hired a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, professional to be on board for the whole process. So um, we've just wrapped up with Tina auditions. And so, um, yeah, really proud of that team, Stage Entertainment, TG Dainty, who brought, brought me on, um, you know, and I've done everything from writing the audition notices to being in the room, um, creating a shift in how we give our offers, um, knowing that we've got a lot of people who will be doing a show, a big commercial production for the first time. We're doing a video offer in addition to their written one so that people understand what it means. So this is your contract. This is what you should be looking out for. This is what you're signing on to. This is the content of the show, You know, making sure that people know if you're going to be in Tina, that means you're going to be witnessing violent domestic abuse eight shows a week plus in rehearsal are you okay with that how does that sit in your body you know so trying to think of ways that we can give people back agency and dignity um as part of this sector and not necessarily always have be the ones who hold all the power but finding ways that we can actually share and offer that power to people share it that is awesome you know, you mentioned something when you were when you were going through um, and and talking about the different um, uh, the the different spokes. You mentioned reconciliation. What is that? What does that look? Like? I mean, I know what the word means. What does that sure. look like? So, a reconciliation you? action plan is uh, a document that organizations make to um, reconcile. Um, and I will say for lack of a better word, because there probably is a better phrase, but to reconcile their responsibility and to take accountability for the harm that they've caused specifically to First Nations communities. Um, I personally don't write those plans. I don't write a rap because I'm not First Nations, um, but I help mm-hmm. navigate organizations to the companies that can. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can take lots of forms. They can take a form of um, being more future focused, like yes, we've done all these things and these are the steps that we're taking moving forward in in the spirit of reconciliation. They can take a retrospective look. This is all the harm that we've caused and we know that we need to adjust these actions moving, you know, or um, be accountable for these actions and the harms that they've historically caused. Some people don't like the term reconciliation plan, reconciliation action plan, which I understand because the idea of reconciliation means that like, you're going to forgive mm-hmm. me for all the stuff that I did. And I'm going to forgive you too, right? That this is a two-way street, but it's actually not a two-way street. The First Nations people don't right. have anything yes, to apologize yes, for. Yes, it yes. was theirs and we took it. Uh-huh. Um, so there might be other terms that are a little bit better than reconciliation action plan. I am so stunned by this. Mm-hmm. Is that common? Mm-hmm. Because in the States, it's not always an action item. That's the problem with all of this stuff, you know, just like everybody put up a black square in 2020. Uh Like, what are you doing? Your social media account is Mm -hmm. not doing anything. So there are some people who are really walking the walk. And beautifully, there are some 
amazing indigenous led organizations yes, that are yes. doing like everybody your homework go check out um il bilgeri theater company we'll, we'll spell it for you um bangara dance company there's some really great work that's happening that is first nations led and is sort of making people be like oh right they are here they do make art they are interesting there are stories to be told there is root in tradition and history um and there are things that are more classic than Tchaikovsky. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's been here a while. Yeah. So yeah. I L B I J E R R I. I'm going to, I'm going to look And they're doing great work. <laughs> well, you know, Cecily, you're doing great work too. Uh-uh, thanks. <laughs> and I am so happy. Yeah. I am. I am so happy that we had an opportunity to chat when you were, when you were uh, globe trotting <laughs> <laughs> and doing your work and you decided to, you decided to, to talk to, to me or to us at the league. And I walked away from that conversation. And I think I told you this, I was like, people, we, we need to have you on the podcast because people need to recognize that, that, there are folks in XS, there are folks that are globally and it, it's not just in the United States. And I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. we get tunnel vision and we just we just see it as just the U.S. And we forget that that this is a this is not just a U.S. issue. This is this is something that yeah. is that's global. Thank you for the work that you're doing because people are watching and people are seeing what's happening on Broadway and they're asking themselves, huh, could we do that too? How do we do that? And even if it's not happening quickly, um, the seeds are being planted. So well done to you. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Now I'm blushing. (laughs) So before we wrap, I always I ask our guests just this one last question, and it is what um, if you could say anything to the future leaders of Broadway, the future black leaders of Broadway, um, what, would, what would you tell them? I would tell them to look back at all of the people who have come before you look and be proud of the shoulders that you stand on. Continue to remember that they have fought the best fight that they can. And as you go forward, you may not know where the path leads, but go. Mm, I love that. You may not know where the path leads, but go. Yeah. That's beautiful. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 